Welcome to Armchair Preaching, a podcast of the First Presbyterian Church in Lakeland, Florida. This is a podcast about God's Word, the beauty of the gospel, and what it takes to communicate that truth to others. I'm your host, Pastor Zach McGowan, and on today's episode, I'm joined by Student Ministry Director Josh Schweitzer as we discuss this week's message in our series entitled Great Stories. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome back, everybody, to Armchair Preaching. Today with me uh, in a virtual space, once again, uh, Josh Schweitzer. Actually, we're in a virtual space because I'm having microphone trouble. Um, So I'm down to one microphone in my office, even though we're both in the building together. So (laughs) glad that you can accommodate, uh, Josh. Sure, anytime. Yeah. So... I wasn't sure we might have we might have had to do this in a virtual space anyway because anybody that knows what's going on here in Central Florida uh, this week um, or our Florida not I'm gonna say it's just Central Florida actually the North Florida has probably taken the brunt of this one uh, we we're, we're in another hurricane and um, much like we were last year with Hurricane Ian uh, we're dealing with the, the 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 personal effects of that ministry effects of that although. To a lesser extent than we did with Hurricane Ian, but um, last year when when we were dealing with that, Pastor John and I talked on the podcast about what that's like to navigate um, ministry during a, a, a kind of a um, a crisis or a tragedy. Uh, and so I, I, I'm just curious, you know, Josh, you weren't in that conversation, but I, I would love to hear kind of from your vantage point, you know, what you see. You know how how is it to navigate both the impact that you you have to um, walk with other with other people through that, but also you, you know it impacts us personally too. So navigating that balance, how, how have you done that? You've been in in Florida doing ministry for a number of years, had to see a lot of that as well too. Um, what what has that been like for you? Yeah, well, um, good question. In a lot of ways. Um, Somehow I've been blessed in the sense that like the, the bigger effects of any of these hurricanes have kind of missed where I'm at or uh, I mean, last year's uh, we lived on the north side of Lakeland, like real north off of I-4. If you hadn't told me there was a hurricane coming, I, I actually wouldn't have known. <laughs> it was just, you know, a few strong gusts of wind. But um, uh, as far as, you know, student ministry goes and stuff like that, uh, obviously we put safety first. Um, and, it, and what makes it kind of hard is um, where we are located, uh, as far as I've heard so far, Lakeland didn't get hit with much of anything. And so for a lot of students, they tend to roll their eyes when we cancel ministry or put something off because uh, for them, they're just like, I don't know, maybe this is just not a big deal. Or they're not thinking through that, you know, what if what if this hurricane actually did hit us uh, in, a, in a pretty tragic way? But on a bigger scale, um, anytime some, something like this happens, and last year there were plenty of trees that did get knocked down and that got wrecked. The church itself was messy for us. I look at it as a way of uh, uh, how do we serve? How do we, you know, after the effects, after it's gone, how do we fill in those gaps and help others out um, and come together as a group? And I really do think for the students, um, 
it's been a great way for them to get connected to people they might not normally see in the church, and it's a great way to serve in that way. Yeah, it's a you know it's a different it's a different deal. I mean, this is my I mean this is this today doesn't you know today and yesterday doesn't really count quite like even last year because um, last year there was there there was a lot more of uh, damage in some places. Um, we we actually we had quite a bit of damage per, you know personally and then. Uh, six years ago with Hurricane Irma, uh, that came through that, obvi- that really did, uh, affect a lot of our folks. And, and then I was, I've been, I've been in Polk County since 98. So I was here for Charlie Francis and Jean as well. And that really did a number on the, on the, the whole, a whole of Polk County, you know, it really, it really, you know, did a big deal on that. But, you know, I do think too, one of the things that you, you probably have to navigate, um, and I and I'm curious, just on this side of on a di- in a different angle with kind of crisis and tragedies, you know, there you know the human the human made tragedies, you know, like the like you know obviously school shootings are a big deal. Uh, we've seen that a lot more, and and while I think that definitely affects how how the broader church kind of ministers, but I. I I, I imagine for you more specifically as a student ministry leader for several years, how have you how have you navigated that that those kinds of tragedies with students, and then how have you seen that change as there's been sort of a a definite uptick in in the numbers of those? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I'd say I think it's. Uh, four occasions in ministry I've had um, tragedy kind of strike pretty close to our youth group um, of the of the youth groups I've served in uh, one was a one was a suicide one was um, actually there was a I won't go into full detail but in celebration there was like a, a murder um, I think it was a murder suicide issue with the whole family and the animals like the whole thing um, so that rocked um the community pretty hard um and and there's been a couple other scenarios that were pretty close to that um yeah it's 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 not easy i I do think i mean you're dealing with young adolescents so um for them this might be the first time dealing with a tragedy on that level uh not that it makes it any easier either Mm -hmm. way um but uh, life tends to build up calluses in a good way or in a bad way uh, when, yeah. you, when you deal with issues in life. And so you at least are able to navigate it a little bit easier the next time. And so dealing with adolescents, you're dealing with pretty raw first times a lot. And mm. um, I think it's an honor um, to be a part of that journey. Not that we want these tragedies to happen, but um, that we get to be gentle in our mourning with them and shouldering their pain with them and walking them through that. I mean, that's that's kind of the whole call of the church to some degree, right? Is yeah. if one part of the family of the body of Christ hurts, then then we all hurt. And um, those times, although horrific and, and tragic, highlight. The, the beauty of God being present and proximate in in, in the scenario, um, 
And so I have just honestly seen a lot of students who felt like God was distant or weren't sure what the purpose of the church was, but somehow out of the tragedy, the the answer came from, oh, this is God drawing near. This is what it's like to be incarnate with one another. And so it's it's a weird it's a weird answer because it's like you don't want those things to happen, but at the same time, it, this is literally to some extent what the church is for is to help yeah. mourn and um, be hope in in times of hopelessness, um, and to not dismiss that or tell them to toughen up or get over it. Um, just to and and to not give a trivial answer too. I don't know about mm-hmm. Zach, you've been doing ministry for a long time, but man, sometimes something really hard or somebody doesn't have an answer to a really tough question. And we tend to just throw out, I don't know, the, uh, theological jargon rather yeah. rather than just stepping in the moment and being human and saying, yeah, I'm just going to be here. I'm going to cry with you. I'm just going to you know hold you or whatever the, the situation is. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. So in, in a yeah, sense, I it's think, an honor to... Yeah, and I think what you're saying, I mean... <sighs> it's very true because we don't obviously we don't want these things to happen but they but they are an inevitability because we live in a broken world and so part of our calling uh, i think the church is the the church is calling but then us in 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 the on in the professional capacity the the shepherd capacity is to help kind of walk with people through those times because they are an inevitability um and to help deal with the the hurt um and you're right and i think one of the things i think john and i've talked about before is the 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 navigating through some of the the bad answers that other christians have given you know that try to answer the questions rather than just being present and being available and and being a shoulder to cry on and and rather than saying well i'm going to have the pithy kind of you know they're in a better place or the, you know god's got a plan and you know all things that might be that are true but aren't helpful you know it's it's we we you know we we have a calling to not only speak truth but to speak uh, things that are also helpful that are true, you know, so that, that there's, there's navigating timing and, and, and empathy. And, and, I, and I'm, I, I messed that up. I'll be, I'll be the first to throw that up. I think I too tried to answer questions that quite frankly, I, I shouldn't have answered or, or how would I know why God did fill in the blank thing. So not only did I give, um, to your point, a pithy answer, um, I think overall, psychologically, um, what they're asking is how can God be trusted in this moment, mm. you know, more, more than what the why of it. And if I'm just tossing out, I don't know, dumb grenades, that's <laughs> not helping them. I, so part of the answer to can God be trusted is, can I be trusted? Am I a safe place? And am I willing to just be in the moment with you? Um, and then maybe later past the tragedy when things have kind of resolved, maybe there's some conversations we can have at that point. And so um, I, the Holy Spirit has been kind to me um, and, and not uh, thankfully burning bridges through those moments. Uh, and, and for me to kind of arrive at the other end going, yeah, I think there's a better way to, to go about that. You know? Yeah. Well, and it, and it actually, you know, it, it it segues nicely into this the 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 
the Bible lesson or the Bible uh, passage that we we were navigating because what you have in John chapter eight is a, a sin tragedy that that is that this this the woman caught in adultery is living into, and the worst case scenario for her is that you know, not only is she caught but she's she's caught and then publicly kind of brought before Jesus who is at that time one of the most well-known and popular rabbis whether they whether people all believed in him or not as the messiah son of god or whatever no one could deny his popularity and and his the, the captivating the attention of the jewish people uh it, it's highly likely that this woman knew exactly who jesus was whether she had ever seen him before and so worst case scenario for her she's caught and she's you know brought into the temple and and basically, Jesus is asked to be the judge and jury in this moment. So, um, I want to get into the passage a little bit uh, first, uh, but you and I talked a little before we we preached just about some of the nuance. I, I got into some of the the challenges with this passage from a um, from a hermeneutical standpoint, from an exegetical standpoint. You, you and I talked briefly about it. Uh, and I actually mentioned a little bit in my message that you know there's some debate about the authenticity of this 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 passage, and um, you didn't mention it in your sermon, which probably was for the best because you know it doesn't it doesn't really add to or take away from the message. But I'm thinking of people in the classic service who are probably you know lar- more largely well uh, versed, biblically literate people who maybe have be asking those questions. So, you know, what, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? And, uh, the, the, the historicity of it, the authenticity of it and its place in scripture and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, did that, did that shape anything about your approach to it at all? Yeah, it's funny. Um, honestly, it was like 2015 when, uh, either I had stumbled really across, uh, the idea that it didn't belong to the original in, in the original manuscripts. And, um, and I mean, there's been debate after debate over did Matthew write this or did his, you know, uh, his contemporary, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and I will say that you can kind of get lost in the weeds of that. Absolutely. And I've also been very careful to who to share that with, uh, for the intellectual mind, maybe questioning whether, uh, the Bible is, uh, authoritative or, um, historically correct and yada yada. That's a great, those are great arguments to get into. But um, often uh, I learned this also with teenagers, you can love thinkers out there and they end up just confusing or actually making it yeah. worse. <laughs> uh, so in, in lieu of this one, I uh, personally, where I've landed on it is, um, you know, it mentions how Jesus did many, many other things that it would take so many books to write. I, I think that's probably lands somewhere in one of those categories. I think it is something he did. It, I wouldn't be too surprised if it was a parable of sorts um, mm-hmm. that was kind of turned into a, a more a literal story. Um, but the truth is, I, I don't know. You know, uh, it's hard to guess. And, and you you made some good distinctives that it probably belonged uh, in other books. And and to that end, I will say. The way it's written doesn't really fit uh, the way John, in particular, writes. Um, so it does seem kind of out of out of order there. Uh, 
anyway, when I first discovered it in 2015, I think I was more like, well, if it wasn't in the original, then now I'm never going to preach it. And I, another yeah. assistant pastor there too felt the same way. So he, he actually said he avoided it. Um, I don't yeah, think it's it's yeah, funny, I, I, you know. I, I would someone uh, someone asked me afterwards. Um, I had I had a couple people because I I did mention it in my sermon. I, I tried not to give it more than thirty five or forty seconds because I'm like this is really not the point. But I did I did want to because if I mean if you open almost any English Bible, uh, almost any translation, it, it's there. You know it. it, it it casts some doubt right there in the in the in in the text, and and most of the time it's in line. It's not even a footnote. You know, sometimes you can ignore the bracketed footnotes, but this is bracketed for the most part. Not not a hundred percent. I did find some Bibles where it's just like a little, you know, an asterisk or one of those tiny little letters or numbers or whatever. It's down at the bottom. When some people don't they don't read those, you know, they just, you know, whatever that, that doesn't matter to me. Um, but, but most of the Bibles it's in a bracket. And so I did have a couple that, uh, a couple of, couple of couples that came up afterwards and they said, I can't believe, you know, people would have a hard time preaching on this. And I'm like, well, you know, it depends on the tradition that you're in. Right. And, and, and one of the things I don't, I don't get into in a, in a sermon, um, but I do. in like, I mentioned, uh, the Bible study I've been teaching for, I don't know, eight years. I, I went through this passage quite, quite, quite a bit. And I have to always remind the people is that we don't have any originals of the Bible. You know, we don't have, we don't have the, the papyrus or, or the, you know, the, the, the literal pages that, that Matthew or John or, you know, whomever, you know, you know, scrolled in. Well, what we have are copies. You know, we have copies of copies. Now, from a historical standpoint, the copies that we have of the Bible are a lot closer to the original dates than almost any other historical document from that time period or forward. We have no problem, you know, reading yeah, like Homer's true. Iliad and saying, "Well, that was Homer," and this repre- or, or you know, fought, you know, uh, you know, fill in the blank Greek historian or Rome, Roman historian, right? That there's more yeah. evidence for Jesus existing than there is even him, you know. Yeah, absolutely, right. So, but so when you say we don't have any originals, people are like, oh my gosh, it can't be trusted. I'm like, well, there's a ton of stuff we don't have the originals yeah. of that we trust all the time. And the fact is, the copies that we have of the Bible are within. I mean, some of the best ones we have are within just a few decades of the original document. And not even just the original document, a few decades of the life of the person that's being written about, which is which is better than we can say about the you know the the history that we have on Caesar or Aristotle or you know Phil, you know any other figure. But you can't say that in a sermon because you only have a you know a short window of time. <laughs> and no, and the fact that and the fact that what we say from an orthodoxy standpoint. Is that we believe that the Bible in its original text is is the infallible Word of God, and all we have are copies, good copies, and then translations of those copies, right? So it gets to be real tricky. Like, what what do we consider infallible? You know, and and in the case of this passage, it doesn't really bother me, and I assume it doesn't bother you, if. If I, you know, I get into glory and I'm sitting there talking to Jesus and I say, hey, where does this really show up and where should it have shown up in the Bible? Like, like, and he would probably say, well, I'm in control of the cosmos. I, I put it exactly where I wanted it to be. But if you really want to know, it should have been in Luke, right? Uh, it, it's in keeping with who Jesus was. 
it was this story is very much in keeping yeah. with his overall teaching, and that's the point, right? Yeah. Um, well, and, and again, even if even if a contemporary wrote it, it, it definitely fits as if it were a thing or a story. Jesus, I mean, it, it just kind of fits there. Yeah, I, I will say it would be in a, a funny plot twist if that's what Jesus was writing, and that's where the scrap came from. You know, he's just yeah. writing the story out as it's happening, like. They'll find this later. They won't know where to fit this in. <laughs> well, and I, and I, I so that's the other thing too. I want to talk about because we both and I was I was really curious because you know some people and I'm sure you've heard it too about the 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 detail of Jesus bending down and writing in the dirt. Uh, we both went a- almost verbatim. Like yeah. you can find all these theories, but the fact is we don't know. There's and, and both of us said there's nothing in the scripture that tells us what he. Like nothing that gives us any clue about really what he did, but we say you want to you want to look it up, knock yourself out. But it's all theory, right? Well, but have you, you heard think, people? Have you heard people really like get? Oh my god! Yeah, I mean, even Brian Morgan. Uh, for those that, that are listening, that know Brian, uh, he was sharing. I don't know if it was Paul Miller or his ideas, and I'm like, where do you guys come up with this stuff? Because it's just pure fictional. We have no. We don't even know if he was technically writing or if he was. Yeah, it could have been drawing. Or, I, that's what I said too. It could be drawing something, right? Yeah. Or he's just I, I've, so like not into the moment that he's just like, I don't know, I'm just messing with the dirt right now. But so I, 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 that's actually where I kind of draw the line to go. We have got you know to stop reading into the text and inserting art. Like it's fun, sure. Um, yeah. And in some cases, like when we're arguing, maybe gray areas of scripture. And you're trying to bridge some of those gaps and you're taking some guesses at it. Usually you have some like indicators or something. Yeah. There's nothing. There's absolutely yeah, no clue. There's nothing here. So yeah. I, I, I've heard everything from he was writing down the sins of the the accusers. Um the I've heard I've heard he had done adultery yeah. yeah yeah i've heard i've heard that theory too i've heard the most credible theory that i have heard um which does be the only reason i, I believe it's somewhat credible is because it does take into account the story itself is that the 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 accusers are putting jesus into the um role of of the judge like a judge an old testament kind of judge figure and that he was acting as his own scribe and and taking you know he's taking notes now i i think that that's reaching still but at least it takes into consideration yeah it still takes into consideration the text but i i I look at that and go, it's to me, it's more important what he's not doing than what he's doing, which is he's not directly. It's very obvious that the that either John or whoever the original author is is very much like Jesus is not super paying attention to these these individuals, th- these accusers. He's he's not paying them uh, the 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 respect and not that he's not respecting them, but he's not paying them the respect of even looking at them in the face. And, and cause, cause and the reason I say that is because there are many other times where Jesus is tested and he does, he's very straightforward with them. I mean, even if you go back to John six and seven, he's not, he doesn't back away. He doesn't shirk away. He stands, he faces them. He, he takes it. And one of the interesting little details I did not get into is, you know, in, in the text in John chapter eight, they address him as teacher, but they don't address him as rabbi. 
So in the in the Greek, they actually address him as 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 like it's it's a it's almost like a ti- it's like a technical title, but it's not the title of like rabbi, which is like yeah. So they're not, yeah they're not addressing him with the same respect that you see even other Pharisees and scribes addressing him. They'll address him as rabbi, like giving him that elevated sense. But they're like, no, no, no. We know you know a lot of stuff, but we don't really. Really trust you, like what you're going to well, say, or, or they're approaching him as if he's pagan, so he would be yeah. a teacher of sorts of philosophy or whatever, uh, false religion. But yeah, you actually made a really great point. Um, because I'd read even in uh, you know, kind of in reading some of the background of this, like how basically Jesus was not uh prioritizing this very much because he immediately they had to pester him essentially before yeah. he finally answered right um so you can tell he's not invested in this scenario not not because he's dismissive of the woman but more so he's going this is yeah uh, what do you call that uh uh not a zoo court what am i thinking uh kangaroo uh, kangaroo kangaroo, kangaroo court. yeah this, kangaroo is, this court, is kind but... of a this whole thing's a farce um yeah but one of the things you had mentioned in yours was the idea of standing up to declare and how standing in, in, in general is the idea of like having full attention or even of worship, depending on what you're doing. And I actually, it was funny. I, I was talking with uh, Seth about that and was going like, well, yeah, that makes sense why we stand to declare the word of God, why we worship standing up. It's kind of like my full attention is... Mm-hmm. Uh, being given to this thing, and I'd never made that connection. So I thought, I thought that was a great point. That when Jesus finally does prioritize, say, "Okay, here's what I say about it," not whatever, whatever yeah. else. It is. And 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 then he goes and he actually prioritizes the woman. So when he speaks to the woman and actually asks her a question, that that's the thing that got me because. It makes you know that the details matter. You know that we that, that we talk about the hermeneutical lens sometimes, and sometimes the hermeneutical lens zooms way out, and you get these narrative like you'll pass like you know forty years in just a few verses. Like generations of people will rise and fall in just a few verses, and then sometimes the hermeneutical lens zooms way in, and it and and. It's like seconds pass and it takes, you know, a chapter or, or minutes pass and it takes a chapter. And it's it's in the inclusion of these little details. I'm like, well, what is at the heart of what uh, not only is Jesus doing in this moment, but what's being communicated to us? And it, it really tied in a lot to what you were talking about, this, this idea of what sin does to us and in our relationship with other people. You know, it blinds us of my issues but it shines a light on the issues of others, you know? And I, and I think um, that's why the details are really there because these guys are rushing to judgment. You know, these Pharisees and scribes are rushing to judgment. Um, They're also rushing to test Jesus so that they can judge him, which, which neither one of us mentioned, but I think is kind of lurking in the background is not only are they bringing this woman to be judged, but really what they're doing and what's explicit in the text is they're, they're trying to raise a charge, and we both talked about there's two laws that are at play here. There's Old Testament law, and there's Roman law, and they're trying to bring a charge against Jesus ultimately. So, they're rushing to this, and Jesus is slowing down. 
you know, yeah. to take yeah. time. And, and I, and I think, think that that's why it goes out of its way to mention uh, the scribes or the law or the law keepers, because they're there as the technical ones to go like, where does he make an infraction? You know, like they're trying to find, yeah. you know, like you would bring lawyers to a case to go, okay, like find where he, where he messes up here. And of course Jesus doesn't. Um, yeah. Now I will, I wanted to say this cause I knew we were going to do this podcast. So Man, Zach, here's what came out. Here's what came out of this. What came out of this was I do not have a great, um, firm idea of Levitical law, and I I went deep, right? I went yeah. deep as you can go on some of the stuff, and it's so confusing because they'll 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 contradict each other. Like people have different, and I'm like, how can so, so I'll, I'll, I say all that to say this. Um, I, I bought like four more books to go even deeper in it. Uh, for one, and then um, two. I almost feel like we we need a rabbi, uh, rabbi uh, here to help us in, in this sense. But when I went to Israel, one of the things that did strike me out of that was how they approach um, law differently and how they approach wisdom differently than uh yeah. like america would or um what kind of our constitution we we think uh we tend to think of law as in uh if this has been true then every time this must happen and, and be executed appropriately mm-hmm. um from what i can tell again correct me if i'm wrong Levitical law is a little bit different um they, they approach it a little bit different like here are guidelines yeah, and they certainly sh- can be followed through with, but it doesn't necessarily mean it needs to be executed every time. Yeah, and and I think why that's important because I think you mentioned it in your passage or in your sermon, where yeah, you could stone her, but it doesn't mean you necessarily have to. Right? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. if the witnesses or the accuser wishes to. And I wish I I wish I had spent a little bit more time on that. I, I but I don't want to. I don't like speaking to things I don't really have a firm grasp of uh, in particular. And that was one of them where I was like, well, yeah. I, I'm going to do a little more research. But well, and that's why, yeah. Ultimately, here's why I'll sum it up with this: because the reader, your average American, will read that law and go, "What? Yeah, <laughs> what? Like." Dude, uh, how many of us are, you know, in, in this day and age breaking, you know, lust of the heart or you know, like all sorts of those things. So we'd all be stoned. And, and one of the, the writers that I was reading from was saying, if, if this law had been executed every time, there would have been no Israel really left at some point because mm-hmm. we would have just been annihilating each other with rocks. And so uh, anyway, that was something I wish I well, maybe it, And you mentioned, and I, I'm glad that you did in your, your sermon, you mentioned that that Jesus reframes the law. He, he, you know, he, he does not abolish the law. He comes to fulfill the law, but it, it, you have to take into account your, your faith in who he is. And so in, you know, Matthew five, six, and seven, when he's doing the sermon on the Mount, especially in Matthew six, right? So that's the whole, um, the antithetical principles, right? That he does, you know, you've heard it said, but I say to you, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And, and he goes into that whole, you know, the lust and the anger. Um, but then, but he also goes in that same kind of general line, he also goes to some of the, the religious practices. So the positive things that people do, but they do it for the wrong reasons. So what Jesus is really doing is reframing the heart, which is why 
when you're when you're dealing with a passage like John chapter eight, you can be an expert on the Levitical law and 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 go down all those rabbit holes, but miss the heart of it and miss the point of it, which is what they do. Yeah. Yeah, which is what they do all the time. And and as preachers, you know, we have to be careful not to like just and I think I think we did this. Um, you throw out what is necessary for the people who really want to know, but then also you have to throw out, well, this is this isn't really about the law, right? This is about, I mean, it is about the law in terms of what you said, which was, which is, you know, love for God and love for others. Are they, are they, are they getting to the heart of that? Because that, that is, that's the guiding principle of all the laws. And, and the reason that the, you know, the 600 and whatever, 18 or 616 laws in the Levitical code can get a little convoluted is because they are um, situational in a, in a, to, to a large degree. And there's situations, and even in our law, I mean, that's why lawyers have mountains of books because there's case law, there's apodictic law, which is, this is what the law says. And then there's casuistic law, which is, this is how the law is interpreted, right? And, and, and it can be like, yeah, if we want to interpret it according to the letter of the law, then we would do it this way all the time. But if we interpret it by the spirit of law, what the, 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 the law, how it was written, how it was intended to be lived out in this case, you know, it's like the stand your ground law, I think is the most probably easy to get because like the stand your ground law is somebody breaks into your house, right? Someone breaks into your house and tries to hurt you. You have the right to defend yourself. That's what the law is intended. It does not mean that you have the right to go out with, you know, your semi-automatic weapon or your automatic weapon and go vigilante in your neighborhood and every suspicious person that you see is a target because you're like, well, stand my ground because they turned and looked at me in a menacing way, right? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Technically, you could probably get around that, but how do you, what's the, what's, what's the case? What's the case by case? I I think that's an important nuance that the Western reader would miss. Uh, I I know I did growing up and I I came from a little bit more of a fundamental background. So everything was very literal and by the, by, you know, it was very black and white in that sense. And so uh, I tend when I preach, uh, not that it, not that our crowd is fundamental by any means, but I tend to sometimes answer fundamental questions just in case uh, they're out there. Um, but if, if there were another direction you could take this particular passage, I do think it is the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law conversation mm. and how in 2023, we have plenty of people still doing that. Uh, yeah. Almost uh, taking this very hyper literal approach to um to scripture or passages without the nuances or without even the context or uh, the particular crowd they're talking to. And so I, I would go, that would be another spin you could take it is, is to go like, um, don't be quick to jump to conclusions yeah. um, on these things. Yeah. 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 Well, Josh, man, I appreciate you hanging out for a little while, and uh, thanks for doing it in this way. I'm hopeful I will have the uh, all the tech stuff figured out by next week because I'll be back with Dr. Paul. But uh, appreciate you being. You're going to be back in the pulpit in just a couple weeks. You'll be in the classic service as we start. We're starting a new series this week called the Integrated Life. So that'll be that's going to be a good series, a good long series. But uh, Josh, as always, great to talk to you about this. Hear your insight and your take on this uh, on on the word of God. So appreciate you, man. Thanks, Zach. Appreciate you too. 
So if you missed uh, this week's messages in this series of uh, great stories, whether it was Josh's or mine, uh, you can uh, head over to fpclakeland.org and go to the worship page in the sermon archive tab. You can watch complete services in both our classic and our modern worship services and get caught up on that series as well. And if you've missed any one of our episodes of Armchair Preaching, we do encourage you to head to Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcasts. Hit that subscribe button so you can be notified when a new episode drops. And uh, you can like that uh, there as well and share it with your friends. It really helps others uh, discover um, the ministry of FPC, and uh, we think it's been um, really enriching in the lives of those who have participated. So uh, we hope you do that, and uh, we'll see everybody next time.